What was your first job? I've heard overwhelmingly, like a lot of people, their first job was McDonald's. And I'm curious, was anybody's first job McDonald's in here? No? couple? Okay, a couple. Uh, what was your first job? I've talked about my first job in the past here before. Uh, I worked at a barbecue restaurant in my hometown. I would like this morning to talk about my second job, though, because my first job was a great experience. My second job, we washed cars. I was, uh, I worked at a place called Washworks, and uh, people would bring us their pride and joy cars, and we would detail them, and we would wash them, and it was a terrible experience. It was like the worst job that I can think of that I've ever had, and uh, I I was like 16 years old, I think, when I worked there, and I was probably the most mature person at this, and I, I'm not saying I was a mature person. I'm just saying that's how bad it was at Washworks. The managers would talk openly about doing drugs together after work. Yeah, and then they would forget to wait until after work to actually do the drugs. And so we're like, oh, like, oh, right now. Okay, cool. Thought we were washing cars. Uh, there was this one guy, he would, he would pick the nicest car that we had for the day or for the afternoon, and he would just take it like for a joyride he would just ride around you're like oh that's sweet man I've been looking at that new BMW and he just whoosh, he'd be gone and one day he was like hey Chris I need you to go with me uh, for what he called a training exercise and so like an idiot I got in the car with him and we left he was like yeah because this one has nitrous and I need to show you show you how nitrous works and he did I've never driven so fast on a residential road and it was yeah and we got back so I mean that is the place where I worked one day the manager came in and I don't I guess the owner had been putting some pressure on him to like uh, save some money or make more money and he's like guys guys I got it figured out man I figured out how we can save some money he's like you know how you know how people pay for the wax cycle when they because we had the thing where like they would drive through a thing and some stuff would spray on them and then it would come out the other side we would do some detail work and we're like you know where they pay for the wax cycle <laughs> I put water in there <laughs> Yeah, I didn't put the wax stuff in there. I put water in there so they'll still pay for it and they'll see the stuff squirt out, but there's not any wax in there. I was like, this is stupid. This is, what are we doing? <laughs> and, and then he was like, I need you guys to sell more wax. I'm like, idiot. It was a terrible, terrible experience. You know um, how Chick-fil-A is like the greatest place on earth and people love working there and people love eating there and it's a great experience? Washworks went out of business. It just didn't last. Like, I think I worked there for nine months before I quit, and then it shut down like a year later. Uh, we're in week three of this teaching series that we're calling Made for Monday, and we're talking about our jobs. And what does God have to say about our work and the things that we do with our time? Whatever it is that you do all day, every day, there's a good chance that you struggle sometimes wanting to do it. And we talked about some of the statistics about people just kind of hating their job or not feeling engaged or like they matter at their job. But my goal for this teaching series is that we will rewrite our worldview about our work because God has some powerful things to say about it. Grab your Bible if you've got one with you today. We've got some free ones we give away in the back if you want one from the coffee bar. Go grab one, and they're free to have if you need a good version of the Bible of your own. Uh, or grab it on your phone. We're going to be looking in two places in the Bible today. So if you want to go and flip over to the very first book of the Bible, Genesis, we're going to be in chapter 2. We looked at that last week. We're just going to touch on that for a second. And then we're going to go all the way to the New Testament of the Bible, to the book of Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, where we're going to be uh, diving into some more of a passage that we looked at earlier in this series. Take a look at that and then 
Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. This is the passage that we read last week, and it was kind of the, the heartbeat of our message last week. Let's look at it again, because we didn't cover it all last week. It says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Now, there's actually two things that God put Adam in the garden to do, to work it, which is what we talked about last week. So if you missed that, go check out the podcast or watch it on YouTube uh, or go back on Facebook. It's on there. But to work it is the one thing. But today I want to talk about the second half. Take care of it. Adam's job wasn't just to go into the garden and do stuff. He didn't have a to-do list, a checklist, and like, okay, did that, did that, did that. All right, I'm off. No, he had to take care of it. Like, this is about protection. This is about looking out for it and making sure that, uh, that it's safe in there and that everything in there is, is doing well. One of my favorite teachers and someone that I quote very often uh, is a guy named Dr. Mark Moore. He's written a couple of commentaries I love to read. And he was doing some teaching on this concept of work uh, fairly recently. And I was just listening to that. And he, he said a couple of things that really challenged me that I want to bring to you this morning that I think are really good for us. The, the first thing is this, and this kind of blew my mind. Check this out. God created the heavens and the earth. That's part one. And that's when we think about creation, we're like, yeah, God created the earth. But check this out. The world we live in was made by us in partnership with God. Think about that. That's a pretty deep concept. That God created the the earth that we live on, but that humans created the world that we live in. He gave us the art products that he made to create the art that is the world that we live in. So in a very real way, God has given us the, the freedom to shape this world. And if you look around us, we have. Every piece of it seems to have some influence from the people that uh, have lived on it. Uh, and in the same teaching, Dr. Moore says this. He says, so our job is not to make a living. Our job is to make life worth living for those who live in the same garden we live in. He put the man in the garden to work it and to take care of it. Our job is not to make a living. Yeah, you got bills to pay. You got an IRA to fill up. You want a retirement plan. You got things to do. But that's, our job is not to make a living. Our job is to make life worth living for those who live in the same garden that we live in. Guys, our garden is Wilmington, North Carolina. You're watching online, you might live somewhere else. Your garden is where you live. And, and beyond Wilmington, North Carolina, your garden is an even more specific location, isn't it? I love our city. The longer I live here, the more I love it. What's not to love? And we talk about the beautiful beaches and the really cool downtown, all the restaurants. There's plenty of stuff to do. It's good, good schools, good neighborhoods. Like it's, it's a great thing. And, and we talk about the beauty of Wilmington. But here's the thing. The longer I live here, the more I have studied our history. And I have, quite frankly, if you've talked to me recently about this, you know this is true. I have become obsessed with Wilmington's history. And it's, like, it's actually anything but beautiful. Our city has a very ugly history. I, where do I begin? Like, we don't have the time. I'm not teaching that lesson today. But man, we, we live in the ruins of a broken, racist South. And, and there are so many fingerprints and, and uh, broken bones and scarred tissue around our city that tell that story. And, but it's really easy for us to just not think about that. But the more, if you don't know anything about the history of our city and, and where all that's true, come see me. I'd love, to, I'd love to recommend three or four books that you could read and you could read them this year. It'd be great because here's the thing. The more I learn about our city, the more I learn about our brokenness. 
and it actually makes me love our city more. It's like when you're dating someone or when you're married to someone or when you're building a relationship with someone, a friendship, the more you learn about their brokennesses, their insecurities, their pain and the things that they're going through, and the more you can empathize with that, the more you actually love them. That's where love actually begins is when I can put up with you even though you're a mess, right? Parents, you know, friends, spouses, isn't that true? We're a mess, and the more that we can love each other through the mess, the more that we truly love each other. And so it puts so much weight on this phrase that my job is not to make a living. My job is to make life worth living for the people who live in the same garden that I do. And I wanna tell you a little bit about our garden. It's not just a past, it's a present. Do you remember in 2016 when big news hit that Wilmington, North Carolina was the number one city in America for people living in opioid abuse? We win, we're number one. Ouch. At the time, they reported like 11% or something of our population was living in opioid abuse or had a past in it. That seems like a really high percentage to me. I didn't take the survey, but wow. That's a brokenness. Do you know we have close to 500 people living in homelessness in our city? Nourish NC reports that one in four kids in our county is living in food insecurity. That means they don't know where their next meal is gonna come from unless an organization like Nourish NC or the public schools or somebody gives them some food. That's brokenness. Do you know we have about 600 kids living in foster care in our county? So we're so much more than beautiful beaches in a great downtown. We're a garden full of real people. And I hope that the more we learn about them, the more we love them. And the question is, what can we do? What can we do? Well, I think the answer is we work in the garden and we care for the garden. And that's where we head with that. We protect it. And we partner with God to make the world that we live in. How do we do that? I believe that the best way to reach the brokenness of our city is for each of you to take Jesus with you to work. I believe that the best way to reach our city in in its brokenness is for each of you, for all of us, to take Jesus with us to work. This is a strategy that God has been using for hundreds and hundreds of years, is that ordinary people would just take the message of Jesus, the message of God and his love to whatever sphere of influence they have. To get in there and just do the work, to care for the garden. So right here, right now, I I want to invite you to do the same thing. And I want to commission you as a pastor, as a missionary to your workplace, whether you're full-time, part-time, whether you're a student, whether you're trying to figure out your career, whether you're between careers, whether your daily thing is standing in the unemployment line, like whatever it is that you're doing every day, like right now, I want you, I want you to know that if you know Jesus, you are commissioned to be a missionary to that group of people. I want you to take a second right now, like close your eyes or at least figuratively close your eyes. I want you to think about the one to five people, maybe it's 10 or 15 people, that you interact with every single day at work, over the phone, across the table, next door, you share an office, you ride in a car with them all day. Picture them, what are, to yourself, what are their names? Say their names, don't, don't just skip this. Who are they? What are their names? These are real people. 
they have birthdays and anniversaries and strengths and weaknesses and skills and dreams. And they are the garden that God has planted you in for a season. And if you have the message of Jesus in your life, you are their pastor. <laughs> you are a missionary to their life. Your coworkers, your customers, your boss, your employees, you're their missionary and God wants to partner with you to make their life worth living. I could go on and on, but I want to get to some more Bible. I told you that we would be in Colossians today. So grab your Bibles again. We're going to be in Colossians chapter three for a few minutes. And let's just see what it means, this whole made for Monday idea. As we've been kind of going through this idea, what does it mean for me to do my best in the workplace and make it possible for people to know the God that I have met? no matter what level you have that. So we're in uh, Colossians, we're in chapter three. The apostle Paul wrote this letter to the church at Colossae. And this is, uh, we, we've touched on little pieces of this passage, but now we're gonna look at the whole chunk of it. Starting in verse 15, this is what Paul says to the church at Colossae. He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to one peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And so we're talking about like setting this example and being worshiping, you know, throughout our days. And he says, let the message of Christ, oh, sorry, and whatever you do, whether it's in word or in deed, do it all in the name of Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him, whatever you do. So whatever it is that you do in your life, and I'm talking about your workplace today specifically, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now we've touched on this passage already in this series. You might could call it like a theme passage of the whole teaching series. When Paul's gonna go into some specific instructions and we're just gonna kind of zip through this. You might wanna study it more on your own later. There's some, some pretty cool stuff in there. But first he's gonna take us into our homes. And he's like, listen, whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's start in our homes. And so he starts with wives. And he says, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. That's a can of worms. Oh, wives submitting to your husbands, and that's a whole thing. This whole thing you're going to find is all about servanthood, okay? So then he talks to husbands. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. I love the way Ephesians puts it in chapter 5, I think it is. He says, you should love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So this isn't chauvinism. This is just sacrifice. Mutual Mutually sacrifice into everyone. Then he talks to children. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Once again, children are finding a servant's attitude. And then he goes back to the dads. He says, fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. This was my favorite verse as a kid. I remember pointing it out to my dad a few times, and he was like, shut up. Um, so I appreciated that. Uh, <laughs> Do not embitter your children. Don't provoke them or they will become discouraged. So this attitude, and this is just a bulleted list. This is not like an exhaustive teaching on the family. There's a lot more about family we could say. But what Paul says is like, listen, here in our family environment, we are to be servant-minded. Make life worth living for the people who are in the garden in which you're planted. And I mean, that makes a lot of sense. That's your initial garden, right? That's where you begin. But then he's going to leave the home and he's going to take it to another layer. And this next, this next part's kind of weird, okay? Because he's going to talk about slaves. 
So if you're reading ahead, you see that, you're like, hmm, I wonder how we deal with this. Because it actually doesn't necessarily speak directly to our culture, slavery bad. You know, we've, we've, we've been putting that down for a long time, not just in our world, but around the world. But he talks directly to it, and we'll, we'll say why in a second. Look at verse 22. He says to slaves, slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. We'll get to that, but then he says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as if working for the Lord, not for human masters. And so you got this idea of like, it's the same thing as in the, in, verse, in, in the earlier passage. Whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it for the name of the, uh, for the glory of God. But the, slaves, let's talk about the slavery thing first because how in the world does this fit into our teaching right now? First of all, it's really important for us to understand that at the time this was written, something like 60% of the inhabitants of Rome were slaves, okay? And like a fraction of 1% were Christians. There were way more slaves than there were Christians. It was a high likelihood that as Paul is giving this teaching that a person hearing this would actually be living in slavery, an enslaved person. And so in that thing, it's like, man, Paul needs to teach to everybody. But what's really cool is as this teaching began to be lived out in the church, this teaching, slaves honoring your master, led the masters to give the slaves a little more freedom because, hey, I can trust you because you're going to take care of it. Eventually to the point where it's like, you know, I don't even need to keep you enslaved anymore. Or many, many of these people, as the influence of Christianity grew, became Christians themselves, and they saw, well, this is not the best way. This is my brother. This is my sister. I don't own them anymore. And eventually, this simple instruction leads to the eradication of slavery in the Christian sector of the Roman world. So that's really cool. So, but what, what does it mean to us today? Well, one, you might be like, well, I kind of feel like a slave at my job. And truthfully, a lot of people have taken this passage and said one great way to apply it is to apply it in our workplace. Uh, so not with the nuances of slavery, but more focusing on the attitude that Paul tells the slave to have. Let's look ver at verse 23 again. We'll back it up again. He says, whatever you do, remember he's talking to slaves in the original context. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. So this is a call to excellence. This is a call to integrity. This is a call to work ethic. And it's interesting because we're like, well, I'm not in slavery, but man, if this is expected of an enslaved person, Imagine how much more freedom we would have to live out this same mindset in a place where we do have freedoms. And that's not how we always want to act when we go to work. We don't want to like do our best for our job. We don't want to do our best to make somebody else money. In fact, a lot of times you might have gone to work and be like, you know, I'd love to sabotage this place. Actually, I'm going to give my two weeks notice and then I'm going to ruin things as thoroughly as possible before I hit the road. And that's sometimes the mentality we come into our work with. I told you about my job at the car wash. Is this passage telling me that I should serve those managers and that owner as if I was serving the Lord? I think it is. And that is, I told you, this is going to be a worldview changing concept. Paul's, not te Paul's teaching this, that if you wear the name Jesus, 
you're not serving your boss. You're not serving your paycheck. You're not serving your resume. Jesus is your boss. Jesus is your CEO. Jesus is your supervisor. It doesn't matter who else gives you value. It doesn't matter who else appreciates or recognizes your work. The God of the universe knows your name. And when people look at you, they need to be able to say, yeah, Jesus is in that. I recognize that. And it's only when Jesus is your boss that work can become worship. That's what we said last week. We, we, you became Hebrew scholars. You might remember that. We learned this Hebrew word for work, and we learned that it can also mean worship. But we can't truly worship in our work unless Jesus is our boss. And a crazy thing happens that when Jesus becomes our boss, work can also become ministry. As we wrap up today, I want to kind of take this idea of work becoming ministry and really burning into our brains. Our work becomes ministry when this happens. Our work becomes ministry when people are your priority instead of production. You hear that? Your work becomes ministry when people are your priority. Not making money, not checking the boxes, not making somebody else rich or making somebody else happy or famous or whatever. But no matter what I'm doing, people are my priority. And suddenly your work becomes worship and your job becomes a ministry. And it's really neat. Because remember, I told you, our, our job is to make people's life worth living in the garden that we're planted in. And the only way to do that is if Jesus is our boss, people become our priority. Uh, here's a three-part, like, I don't know, goal for shifting our wor- worldview about work. And I want to give them all to you right now. One, I am the pastor at my workplace. Two, Jesus is my boss. And three, people are my priority. I am the pastor of my workplace. Jesus is my boss. People are my priority. And with that, we can begin to shape the garden that we're living in and make it a better place to live. I want to put some practical skin on that and and make it a thing that we can actually do together. And so in this teaching that I was listening to Dr. Moore do, uh, he, he did a really cool thing. He surveyed dozens of professionals, whether they were employees or employers. Some of them were CEOs. Some of them were, you know, just low level employees at a place. And he basically asked them, these are people that he valued their work ethic and their Christian faith. And he said, how are you a missionary at your workplace? And they gave him all kinds of cool answers and it was really cool to see some of them. I'm boiling down to three of the categories that he discovered. And I think that if we can lock in on these three categories of things, these are things that you can begin doing today or tomorrow if we're made for Monday, tomorrow maybe you go back to work tomorrow. If you can do any of these three things. Now, I'm going to give you a lot of examples. If you're a note taker and you're an overachiever, write them all down. That's great. But here's my goal. I want you to walk away with one goal. One thing you can do starting tomorrow, okay? And you can do one of the things I specifically say, or you can read between the lines and make up your own things. Here are the three categories of things. Uh, If we can do these three things, we're killing it. If we can, one, model integrity. Two, start conversations. And three, care for people. (laughs) If we can do those three things, I believe we can really make a difference and make inroads into people's lives to show them the love of Jesus. I want to break those three things down, though, and give them some actual specific examples. Model integrity, start conversations, care for people. Let's first look at the first one, model integrity, okay? Um, so integrity is simply just doing the right thing because it's the right thing. There's a song that I used to love. It's who I am when no one sees. 
That's what integrity is. And you're just doing it because it's, because it's right. We're not looking for awards. We're not looking for attention. It doesn't matter who sees you. You're just doing the right thing because it's the right thing to do. And what are some things that you could do to model integrity? I love this one that actually came out of Dr. Moore's survey. He said this, one of the best things you can do to model integrity, are you ready for this? Pick up trash. Pick up trash. For real? That's what we came here to learn at church today? I'm supposed to pick up trash? Yes. Because nothing models integrity like a person who says, you know what, I'm willing to just do the right thing. And it's the right thing to pick up trash. To go into the break room and Bill has left his Dr. Pepper can on the table. Again, Bill, and we've got ants now. And we don't whine and complain to Bill. We just walk over and we pick it up and we put it in the trash can. Now that wasn't so hard, was it? Guess what? No more ants, no more trash. And guess what? Maybe nobody even saw it, but it was the right thing to do. And it begins to build in you the, the desire to just do the right thing because it's the right thing. And people will begin to notice. The small act of picking up, I'm gonna tell you this, if you are the boss at a place, I've led in so many capacities in so many areas and I, I never want to believe that there's a job that I'm above. You need to be cleaning the toilets, taking out the trash, sweeping the gross junk. <laughs> And if you're a low-level employee, and that is technically your job, you get paid to do that, do it with a smile on your face. That's what integrity, that's where it starts. That's integrity. That's not what integrity is, but that's, that's an idea. You could do that tomorrow, couldn't you? See, these are specific, practical things. Here's a second thing that you can start doing tomorrow. Ready? Refuse to be rude. We are jerks. We think sarcasm is a way to deal with things that is, is, is okay, and we just... And man, what if we just refuse to be rude? Cutting off that idiot on the phone who's, ah, can you believe they didn't plug it in? <laughs> Have you tried plugging it in? He didn't plug it in. Like, okay, yeah, they made a mistake. Stop being rude. Why? Because it's the right thing to do. And that's how we model integrity. And, and, and it's a culture that's built at some workplaces, isn't it? Sarcasm and rudeness. Maybe you can call people out on it, but you don't have to. You just stop doing it. I could go on and on about it. Refuse to be rude. Here's a third one of how to model integrity. Simply be honest. I was at Home Depot recently, and it doesn't matter what I was getting there, but I was talking to an employee, and the guy was like, look, I've been working in this field. I worked in it for like 20 years before I started working at Home Depot. Let me just tell you something, man. This thing that you're about to buy, they got a better one at Lowe's. In fact, this one's, this one's terrible, okay? I, look, we've got good products at Home Depot, but I'm telling you, you should buy the one at Lowe's. Please take my advice and don't buy this thing. And my family was like, for real? Wow, he just straight up lost a sale. If the owner, CEO, boss of Home Depot walked in, let's say I was a secret shopper, <laughs> this guy could have lost his job. I hope that the CEO would be like, hey, good job. Wait, maybe we should get a better one of those things. Let's not sell that one. He was just being honest, and, and integrity, honesty is like one of the greatest things about integrity. And instead of cheating on your hour sheet or telling, or cutting corners or finding ways to not sell the wax in the wash cycle and put water in there instead, if we're just honest, you make your work environment a better place. We're taking care of the garden and the people around us. Okay, that's the first thing. You can, you can have integrity in a lot of ways. Let's talk about the second category. The second category is a totally different thing. Start conversations. This is more interpersonal. And, and, and if, if, if people are your priority instead of production, I, I, I hate to break it to you. 
especially to the introverts in the room. You got to talk to people, okay? You've got to talk to people, and, and it's so common that people are like, I don't have any friends at work. And it's like, well, how often do you talk to your coworkers? Like, and try to engage with them. Like, walk over to the circle where they're talking. Start conversations. And we don't have to be awkward and weird, okay? Christians have a, 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 you know, a reputation sometimes for being, like, awkward and weird. Don't do that. Don't do that to us. You don't have to be awkward and weird. But you know what you can do? Here's a couple specific things. Uh, you can be the guy who just asks your coworker how his weekend was. <laughs> How'd it go? Did you guys go to the game? Cool. How'd it go? Did you win? Awesome. Yeah, yeah. Start a conversation. Now, you might not be good at small talk. And small talk to me drives me crazy a little bit. But just caring enough and, and listening. And what they say matters. And if they say, yeah, my daughter's birthday is this weekend, you know what? Next week, remember that their daughter's birthday was last weekend and say, hey, how was your daughter's birthday? Did you guys get to go to do the thing? Start conversations. And you know why? Because it shows people that they matter to you. It shows people that they matter to you. The second thing I think that is true about these conversations is this. Small talk becomes big talk. I don't love small talk. But there are a lot of people that have had to sit in small talk world for like months before we finally got to something that mattered. And I stuck with it because I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna love this person. I don't know that they have anything interesting to say. <laughs> oh, they do. You just had to wait for them to feel comfortable enough to just talk to you. And that could lead to a lot of different places. You could find yourself in the middle of talking about their marriage <laughs> or their parenting or their fears or their hopes and dreams. And guess what? That is great. Start conversations. Uh, the third thing about starting conversations I'll throw out there is this, and this is difficult. We need to learn to be vulnerable. If you want them to open up, you gotta be in a place where you're willing to talk about your hurts and your brokenness. And if you're working with broken people, well, there's a good chance that you are, and you probably are one. You know, we all are. It is really helpful when you're living in brokenness to find out that you're not alone. And that your coworker is also broken in a way. And you might find out that you need each other. Start conversations. We need to model integrity. We need to start conversations. Here's the third thing that he found that I thought was really cool. And this is the one we're going to, this is the last one we'll do for this list. We need to care for people. Care for people. And what does that mean? Well, uh, I'm just going to give you two examples. And then I'm going to hope that you look for ways to care for people. And here are two very practical ways. The first one is this. Pray for your peers. Pray for your coworkers. A lot of times something's going on in their life and you're just like, man, that's tough. Hey, let me give you, I'm gonna give you a great phrase. I'm gonna be praying about that. I'm gonna be praying for you about that. Please don't tell people you're gonna pray for them and then don't pray for them, okay? Be honest, that's integrity. But pray for them and you can do it right then and there. Lord, help them in the situation they're going through. Or you can be, work on your own prayer life and you can set up time later to pray for it, but pray for them. And if you want to be bold, especially if you feel like you've got a relationship with someone, you can say, hey, do you mind if we pray for that right now? Now I get it. Some work environments wouldn't allow that. Some of the times it's not appropriate. Sometimes it's really awkward and weird and you need to use some judgment there. But man, very seldom will you find someone who's like, no, I'd rather you not care for me right now. They might not have the same faith set that you do. They might not believe that there's a God but they know that you believe it. And so you could take a second and say, 
can I pray for you? Or I would like to pray for you about that. You know, I'll, I'll be praying for you about that. Praying for our peers is a great way to care for people. He put the man in the garden to work it and to care for it. And if we want to care for people, we need to invite the God of the universe into their circumstance and we can go to him on their behalf. The second thing, I told you there was only two under this category. It's simple. Write a note. Write a note. You ever got an encouraging text message or email or maybe a handwritten analog note on a post-it and it was encouraging? There is hardly a better feeling than to be like, oh, thanks. It's, it's so simple. But to be able to lift someone's spirits and say, hey, you did a great job on that project. I just want to tell you thanks. Not because it's your job, not because this is an evaluation because you're their boss, but because you care for people and you want them to know that you're thinking about them. They have a, a death in their family. Take a second to write a note. Hey, I'm sorry. You're in my prayers. Two for one. Write a note. There's a lot of ways to do this. There's a lot of ways to care for people. Bring them meals. Give them books. There's lots of good things we can do to care people. Care for people. But if we can model integrity, if we can start conversations, and if we can care for people, something begins to shift. Verse 23 of Colossians chapter 3 starts to happen. That whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. It's not your job to write notes. It's not your job to pick up trash. Maybe it is. It's not your job to do these other things, but you don't work for that company. Jesus is your boss. These people are my mission field. And I want to be a missionary to them. My first job at the car wash was a case study in what not to do at a job. <laughs> it was a terrible situation. Hopefully you don't have to live in that, but maybe you do. I want to remind us that your job is not just to make a living. Your job is to make life worth living for those who live in the same garden that you live in. I met a guy named John. I was standing in a line at a restaurant and just kind of struck up a conversation with John because that's what I do. And I was talking to John and he found out through our small talk that I was involved at Venture Church and this was great. He said, Venture Church? Uh... William. William? Yeah, William? Uh, William was at my house. He was working on my washing machine. <laughs> I was like, yeah. And he went on and on. And I said, yeah, I, I know William. W William's an elder at our church. Uh, William, if you don't know Will, he, he owns an appliance business and he works on washing machines, among other things. And this guy went on and on. But that guy was so great, so kind, so patient. He just made me feel at ease. He made me, and he started talking to me about his church and he talked to me about his faith. Why did that guy have such a good, you know, reaction to William being in his house? I don't believe that William woke up that morning thinking, my job is to go fix washing machines for this guy. I believe that William woke up this morning and said, I'm going to go be a pastor in that guy's laundry room and use the opportunity I had to share. And just so you know, I know William's in the room with me. That's not the, that's not the only time I've run into someone in town who's met William and had the same experience. I have a friend who owns a coffee house in town. Uh, she's actually started several small businesses here, and recently she hired another friend of mine, uh, my friend Phil. You just saw Phil playing guitar up here. Uh, and if you know Phil, you know he's, he's a great guy, hard worker. But I'm talking to her about her business, and she goes, oh, uh, Philip, you know Philip, right? He told me he goes to church with you. Philip is amazing. He's so great. He's, he, he just changes the mood of our kitchen when he works in their, uh, in, in their kitchen. I think, are you like a kitchen manager? He works in the kitchen. And he's like, I just love, she said, where were you keeping Phil? I wish I'd have known about Phil sooner. 
Phil makes a difference where he works. Not, he doesn't wake up every morning because his job is to make avocado toast or whatever it is you do over there. I don't know what Phil does in the kitchen back there. He wakes up to go be a pastor, a missionary in the kitchen with the other people that he works with. I could tell you about a time when I was talking to a former New Hanover County inspector. His name is Doug. And Doug, uh, he's on a lot of work, sh- work sites, and he told me one day, he said, you guys, got some, you guys got some guys over at your church that work for a company called Thermaltran? I said, yeah, yeah, Thermaltran. Thermaltran's great. I, I, and I, I'm friends with their owner, a great Christian guy, and they got a good work atmosphere there. And he said, man, I got to tell you something, man. I go to a lot of work sites and inspect where they work, and man, these guys... I would rather work with them than, than almost anybody else that I work with. I work with a lot of contractors, but when I come here, I know these guys aren't cutting corners. I know these guys aren't trying to get something over on me. These guys are just doing their job, and they're so pleasant to work with. And he knew it was because they were Christians. And so you guys, Thermaltrain guys, you know who you are, Zach. I see Summer over there, Chris, Aaron, and man, you're making a difference because when you get up in the morning... Yes, you're getting paid by Thermaltran, but your job is to be a missionary to the contractors and the people that you work with and all the different work sites as you install heating and air and ventilation and all the other things you have to put up with over there. The best way to reach the brokenness of our city is if we take Jesus to work with us. Your job is not to make a living, but then to make life worth living for the people in our garden. Where's your garden? Picture them. When you wake up tomorrow morning, remember, you are the pastor at your workplace. Jesus is your boss. People are your priority. And you were made for Monday. Let's care for this garden, guys. I'd love to pray for you this morning. Let's pray.